Island Church in Galveston, Texas, welcomes you to our podcast. Be encouraged by Pastor Rusty Martin as he teaches the Word of God. Well, go ahead and turn to Isaiah 14. If I do two of those, I'm going to run out of time. But if you want to also study along this subject, you can also go to Ezekiel chapter 28. We're going to look at tonight, and we've studied it before in several different contexts. But now we've been kind of doing some refreshing on our authority. Now, we've talked about the power that's in the name of Jesus. We've talked about submitting unto God, resisting the devil. Everybody say the devil. Now, you know, that's amazing there in 1 Peter uh, chapter 5 and James chapter 4. Uh, both times when it says resist, it uses the word the devil. And if you'll go through the Bible, you'll see the word devil and devils and demons is all through the Bible. One of the biggest, one of the biggest strategies of Satan in the Christian world was to dumb down Christianity to the spirit realm. By declaring there's no activity in the spirit as far as God's concerned, and then discounting a lot that, well, you know, the devil, that's, that's kind of some ancient idea they had of, 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 of bad or of evil. Let me tell you, there's a real devil out there. Amen. There are real demons out there. And if you do not understand how they work and operate, I guarantee you they're going to fool you. They're going to cause you to enter into death. Now, when I say death, I don't mean you're going to die. They're gonna enter, you're going to enter into separation. Separate you from blessing, separate you from relationships, separate you from all kinds of stuff because the thief comes, John 10, 10 says, but for to kill, separate, steal, and destroy. Amen. Amen. So you have to wise up as a believer. The majority of the activity of the demonic realm, now let me say this again, the, demo, the, the majority of the activity of the demonic realm in the earth today it's not out there in the sinner's world. It's in the church. Because the church is the entity that reminds Satan of his defeat 2,000 years ago and should be exercising the authority of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ, in order to show the world how good God is. You know, I think one of the most evil, wicked things, and I, it, just, it just really chews me up when I hear it, is for people who are supposedly Christians... Uh, men who are men and women who are supposedly uh, supposedly ministers to uh, say things about God that have nothing to do with His nature, nothing to do with who He is. Things like, well, you know, God may have given you that cancer. Or, oh yeah, He sent that tornado to Tennessee to teach those people a lesson. Hit Nashville. He got right in there with all them wicked country. That's that's not God at all. Those are acts of the enemy of humanity. Let me try that again. Those are acts of the enemy of humanity. Not just Christians, but he is the enemy of humanity. He hates you. He hated you before you got saved. Now that you're saved, he hates you even more. And a lot of... I was thinking about this this week, knowing that I was going to go down these lines and I say some things I don't think I've ever said before, but it may help some of you. The last 36 years, it'll be 36 years coming up Saturday that I've been serving the Lord like I have been uh, the past 36 years, with all my heart, with everything I have, with everything I'll ever be, I have been more aware and have been taught more, how can I say this, more illustrative lessons by having to deal with the devil than anything else other than the revelation of the Word of God. I tell you, I've learned some stuff about the devil. 
I've learned some stuff about his tactics, his ways. You know, when we traveled, there was a limitation on us. I begin to think about, uh, during the week, I begin to think about how many churches that I was, what, what I would call totally involved in, totally immersive. Five of them I sat on the boards of their church. Uh, Sixteen churches, I was a part of not only the, the, the beginning of the church, but the growth and development, even the building of a physical building or either uh, renovating a building that we're in. But 16 different churches, I was a part of all of that. And I was, I was a part of it on a level that, that, that the congregation was not a part of. I was a part of it with the pastors and with the leadership of the church and, and watching how the adversary, the enemy, would try and do, do anything he could to try to stop any forward momentum of any move of God whatsoever. It's an amazing phenomenon. And if you're not aware of that, if you don't understand that, that's why the Bible says in Ephesians, to beware of the wiles of the devil. Those are his traps, his tricks, his strategies, how he works, how he operates. And I guarantee you, if you could see in the spirit realm for just a few seconds, you would see that you are constantly having to walk in authority against the devil. If you don't do that, he's going to take you over. And the problem with a lot of Christians is they, is they, is they live this life of faith on a level not realizing, it's kind of an innocence I think it is, that not realizing that you're in a constant, literally you're in a constant battle with an adversary trying to twist your mind up, trying to cause you to be ineffective, trying to take you out of the will of God, and trying to do everything he can do to make you totally ineffective in the kingdom of God. Amen? And anything you do obey God in, he comes after that. You say, what do you mean? Look what, look what happened to Jesus. He obeyed God in going down to the Jordan and being baptized of John. And the first thing that happened to him is he got attacked by the devil. Same thing's true. You say, man, I obeyed God. I tell you, I really obeyed God. I did this, I did that, and it just seems like the devil's been attacking me ever since. Well, duh. That's why you got to learn to walk in authority. That's why you got to learn to walk in the power of the Word of God and the power of the Holy Ghost. That's the way God has designed this thing. Nowhere in the New Testament does it instruct uh, believers to pray to God to do something about the devil. Nowhere. Did you know that? It says you do something about it. You resist the devil. You resist the devil. You beware of the wiles of the devil. You be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Resist the devil and he'll flee. You've got to do it. I said you've got to do it. You've got to muster that authority. You've got to walk in the revelation of the word of God. And you've got to be aware when he's running a scheme on you. Amen. Now let me just say this because you know I'm, I've got some... I got a couple of letters lately in which in these letters I was accused of basically just not knowing a whole lot. Now that kind of got to me because when I read them, the first thing the Lord spoke to me was this. He said, people's perception of church and spiritual authority, which is pastors and prophets and teachers, and is one of the first things Satan goes after in people's lives. To try to make you think you see a flaw, that you see you know, something wrong. You know, there are no perfect people. If you are, then we'll cast of that lying devil out of you. <laughs> there are no perfect churches. We've all been stained by the fall of Adam. 
But your adversary, the devil, is a master at trying to get you to think that what you're involved in is something many, is something many times that's not of God. It's not even of God. I was amazed when I, when I went to Bible school at Lakewood. You know, we, we've, we've, I guess it's only happened one time here at Island Church when we had to drag somebody out. Is, am, I, am I right? Only one time. Now, that's not bad for 18 years. I can remember services that Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, at Lakewood, they would drag people out of there, sometimes four, five, or six at a dime. Incredible. I'll never forget. We did something called World Satellite Network. Now, I don't know how much money the Osteen spent to do this, but back then you had to go buy something that would shoot a, shoot a signal up to a satellite, and then that satellite would beam down, and all these people had these dishes because there was a revival going on up in Dallas, and a lot of people, a lot of churches bought these dishes in order to, uh, in order to uh, watch the revival that was going on. So Brother Osteen just took advantage of it in order to preach the gospel to the world. It was being beamed all over the world. So our first... Friday night, World Satellite Meeting, Brother Hagen came. And so the, the TV producer got up. It was about a minute before the show was supposed to start because it was going to be live from Lakewood Church. And he got up and he said, now listen, we're going to get up. Brother Osteen's going to come out. He's going to stand in front of you. Know, there's 5,000 people there. He says, now he's going to say, live from Lakewood Church. You know, here we are, World Satellite Network. You know, begin to just do the introduction. He said, now when he first walks out, I want everybody to stand and begin to applaud. And so, you know, everybody's ready. He's over here. This, this, I guess he's, what would you call it? The director, the producer. He's counting down 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. Now, I don't know if anybody remembers the old Lakewood Church, but we had those big cameras like you used to see in a television studio or on a movie set. They were huge. I mean, they were like that big. They were on rollers and wheels. And one sat right flat in front of the pulpit. And there was about 20 chairs between that and the stage of the old building. And so he's counting down 10, 9, 8, 7, and he gets to about 6. And this woman, she's three, she had positioned herself three seats in front, of the, in front of the camera. She turns around to the camera, takes her shirt off. Thank God she had on a T-shirt under it. Her T-shirt under her shirt said, John Osteen is of the devil. Then she began to scream, John Osteen's of the devil! John Osteen's of the devil! Now this is, this, boom, this, the satellite comes on. And the first thing all these people are seeing in their churches is, John Osteen's of the devil! John Osteen's of the devil! John. So it takes the ushers about 15 seconds to wade through the crowd who's standing there like this. And they finally get to her, and when they get to her, she goes berserk. And so they carry her out like you'd carry out a, you know, like you'd shoot a lion or something. You're carrying them out on a pole. There's about five of you. They're carrying her, and they still can't shut her up. She's still screaming, John the devil! John Osteen's the devil! Of course, Brother Osteen, he never missed a lick. You know, he came out and he said, glory to God, it's just like in the days of Jesus, when Jesus walked the earth, everywhere he went, the demons would cry out, just like at Lakewood Church tonight. We're in for a glorious service. Now, my deal was, what was it that convinced that woman to do that? 
Now, come on, just think for a minute. What was it that convinced her? I'm going to tell you what it was. It was the devil. Well, she, you know, she's off her meds that day. She's off more than her meds. <laughs> it was the devil. Amen. Now, Isaiah 14, let's read this real quick. Isaiah 14, verse 12. How art thou fallen? Everybody say fallen. Now notice this, fallen from heaven. Number one, if we're doing an intelligence report on our adversary, the devil, the first thing, as we say in Texas, the first jump out of the chute, we determine he is what kind of being? He is fallen. Now what does that mean, fallen? That means he's, he's, he's uh, does not carry the power he once had, does not carry the rank he once had, does not hold the position he once had. He is fallen. Now look where he's fallen from. He has fallen from how do you get kicked out of heaven? Amen. I went and listened to a few heaven ex- people, uh, heaven experiences. I like the ones, the little kids. I like the little kids. Uh, you know, when people get grown, sometimes you listen to theirs, you kind of go, oh, okay, yeah. But you know, it's the little kids that are like four or five years old that, that you know, go up. I like to listen Cody Brunt. You listen to him talk about being in heaven, you, you know, he ain't lying. He's not lying, you know. And what's amazing about what they say is none of them wanted ever to come back. Why do I have to go back? Why do I have to? How do you get kicked out of heaven? Amen? Now notice this. How art thou fallen from heaven? Now it names him. O Lucifer, son of the morning. How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations. Now notice this. For thou hast said in thine heart, now we're studying the heart on Sunday mornings, I will ascend into the heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Now, now what, what hits your mind as we just read through those scriptures? The predominant thought of that scripture is what? I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. So one of the first things we see, we see a fallen being who is selfish. Full of self. Amen? It says, now they that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee. That's in verse, uh, what is that, verse 16. Shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee saying... Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake nations, that made the world as a wilderness, destroyed the cities thereof, opened up the houses of his prisoners, all the kings of the nations, even all of them lie in glory, everyone in his own house, but thou art cast down out of thy grave like an abominable branch as the the raiment of those that are slain, thrust through with a sword, that go down to the stones of the pit as carcasses trodden under feet. Now, Literally what he is saying here. What God has given us is a vivid picture of this fallen being called Lucifer who is the devil. Amen. Now we saw, first time we ever saw him said we're in the garden. Genesis chapter 3. Which is a phenomenal study of the enemy because his tactics, tactics have not changed since Genesis chapter 3. He's still the same old liar. The Bible says the truth is not in him. But now listen, the fact that he's on the earth 
and that he's still operational means that God has not finished dealing with him. But God has dealt with him already on our behalf. And understanding Satan and how he operates, how he does things, will help you demonstrate his defeat because if you do not, nobody else will for you. Now, three different levels. Everybody say three. Three different levels in which the enemy will come and, how can I say this? Come and interact with humanity. All of his interaction is evil. All of his interaction is destructive. And all of his interaction is deceptive. That means everything he says. Now he is what? What did it say? I, he said, I, was, he said uh, uh, I will. He said, I will. He said, I will. He said, I will. He is what? He is a communicator. You must understand something about your adversary. He is a master communicator. Three levels of his interaction with the human family and Christian family are these. Oppression, obsession, and possession. Amen. Now let me say it again. Oppression, obsession, and possession. Now, I know that people say many times, well, you know, you see a lot of demon possession overseas. You go to Africa, you go to South America, you get deep in the jungles. And we have seen, we have seen it. But there's as much demonic possession in America as there is any other place. He doesn't, he doesn't say, well, I can't go to America because, you know, they have a nice flag. No. We see manifestations of possession almost on a daily basis. Mass shootings, horrible crimes especially against innocence, against, against children, against you know, uh, the elderly, people like that. I mean, there's all types of manifestations of people who are what? Possessed. Possession means ownership. Amen? But even possessed people, they still maintain the power of their own will. That's one thing, not, that's one thing Satan cannot violate and God will not violate is your own will. Now then, then, then above possession is obsession. Everybody say obsession. Now, before we deal with obsession, let's talk about oppression. Everybody say oppression. Now, whether you realize this or not, you might not like what I'm fixing to say, but you're going to have to deal with it. Whether you realize this or not, you have to deal with the oppression of the devil every day. Every Christian has to deal with the oppression of the devil every day. You say, why? It's, 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 it's part of what's going on. The enemy comes every day to oppress you. Now, his oppression many times only comes in the form of thoughts. That's why we've got, what is it, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations. The enemy many times oppresses us through the thinking patterns that we've developed. I've said it like this for years, and I believe it bears repeating. It, he, he can't read the human mind, but he's had 6,000 years to study it. And he's had your whole lifetime to study you. He knows how you think, and he knows why you think it. Now let me say that again. He knows how you think, and he knows why you think it. Now listen to this. If I can read my handwriting. Good night. Oppression, the definition of oppression is an unjust and cruel exercise of power and authority. Now listen to that again. 
The definition of oppression is an unjust and cruel exercise of power and authority. Now remember, what is he trying to, what is his, what is his ultimate goal? He knows he can't take you to hell. Amen? I mean, we could go and study the, the ways that people can disconnect themselves from their own salvation. You'd never do that. You love Jesus too much. And don't ever let the devil lie to you and make you think you've had. Amen? You say, why is that? You came to church. People that commit unpardonable sin, they want nothing to do with church. They want nothing to do with God or anything else. But there is that which the enemy wants to do to make you totally ineffective in the kingdom of God. Now, he does that his communication through, through thoughts, through impressions, they're illegal, but they come anyway. I mean, I, I've, I've been more aware lately just sitting down watching the news of demonic oppression. How much fear you think is in this world right now because of the, what's it called, the coronavirus? I mean, all you got to do is say it and people go, oh my God. We're planning to close schools and churches and do all this kind of stuff. Uh, Pastor Mark Bazzi, I talked to him yesterday. He just got in from Italy. He says that it's insane. He said, you get outside the United States, it's, it's insane out there. That fear, that fear opens the door. That fear, listen, that which the enemy desires to do mastates upon the foundation of what fear does. It, does. it can do it in a nation, it can do it on this entire planet, and it can do it in your life. So he's constantly, just as we saw in Jesus' life, he's coming against you on the level of the word that you have in your life. Listen, you're no threat to the devil except for the revelation of the word of God that is in your life. It is that revelation of the word and the willingness to walk in the spirit that makes you a threat to Satan. So he wants to come against you. Now listen, his communication, oh, you've got to get this in your spirit. His communication is always a lie. Now let me help you because you know it's not like some big lie. You're going to just say, that's a lie. You're not, no sir. Forget that. Amen? I mean, if you're going to, if you got to, I know we've had some uh, coyotes around our house. We've really not done anything about them. But if I had to do something about them, I'd probably poison them. I'd get in trouble if I tried to shoot them. Now you're not just going to go out there and take poison and stick it in, you know, some nasty piece of garbage. You're going to go out there and get something that's what? Something those coyotes want to eat. Every lie of your adversary is packaged in something you think you should eat. Now let me say that again. Every lie of the adversary is packaged in something you think you're supposed to eat. Amen? Now oppression, there is that which is communicated to you by Satan or demonic powers themselves. Amen? Then there's that which is communicated to you by other people. You say, now wait a minute. Other people? Many times other people who have been communi communicated to by the adversary will take, assimilate, and transmit. Now every time you take something and assimilate it and transmit it, it gains power. Which you ought to say hallelujah, especially when it comes to the Word. Because if you can take and receive and assimilate and transmit the Word, God's looking for that conduit of your faith in order to cause the Word to increase in power. Amen. That's why we make these confessions. That's why it's so important to give your words to God. But the enemy knows that same principle works. He knows how powerful words are and he knows words are seeds. Amen. So many times... 
thoughts pass by our minds. And they're looking for recognition. Now, I, I spent, oh, I don't know, solid 15, 16, 17 years learning about this tactic of the adversary. And I'm going to tell you where it works. And I'm talking about on the adversary side. Is in the two most important institutions of your life. Your marriage and your church. Amen. God does not give you a wife or a husband as some temporary, you know, well, we're going to try it out and see if it'll work. He doesn't do that. Amen. And he doesn't plant and pull, plant and pull, plant and pull people in and out of churches. He doesn't do it. You must understand that your enemy knows that the institutions of God that he gives to you, marriage in the church, he knows that outside of those institutions you are vulnerable. You are vulnerable. I mean, you go out here, you take somebody out here trying to, you know, have relationships with the opposite sex, and I'm talking about Christians, people that know what they're, you know, know what they're supposed to be doing in righteousness. It won't take many girlfriends or boyfriends till you'll find unrighteousness in your life. It's just the way it is. Amen. I mean, all it takes, I like what one old preacher said, all you got to do is rub flesh together and it'll start something. Amen. And church is the same way. You're more powerful in church. You're more anointed in church. You're much more of a threat to the adversary in a group or in a body. That's why the enemy always tries to isolate. To isolate. And in isolation, many times, he knows just how to get the right people to you to confirm what he's been running through your mind the whole time anyway. And the problem is a lot of people live in that trap their whole lives. And it causes such pain, such heartache. That's oppression. Everybody say oppression. So let me say this. You have to fight oppression every day. Let me do this real quick. Thank you, Lord, for reminding me of that. We'll pick this up on Sunday morning. One of your greatest tools to fighting oppression is worship. You get up out of the bed worshiping God, I guarantee you, you've already started the day in victory. You get up out of the bed worshiping God, glorifying His name. I guarantee you've already started the day in victory. Yeah, listen, let me say it like this. You get up out of the bed worshiping God in the morning. You've already started the day preeminent. You're the one on offense, not on defense. You're the one intimidating the devil instead of the one, instead of the one that's being intimidated. You've got to get up on offense. Amen. Then you take the day, and I, I tell you, I'll get in my truck, and I'm not halfway down Tykeman Road where I've done confessed, I don't know, 15 or 20 scriptures just thinking, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. By His stripes I'm healed. Thank you, supply all my needs. Thank you on the righteousness of God. and Just worshiping God, glorifying God. Then it empowers you to recognize thoughts when they come across your mind. Amen. Now, in my life, in that period of time, during those years, I knew in my spirit what God was doing in our life and in our ministry. But I didn't know that about anybody else. That's true of every person. That you know what God's doing in your life, your business, your ministry, or whatever else you have. But the information about others, you really don't know that much about that. 
The enemy knows that ignorance of one another is his playground. You say, what do you mean by that? A look, a greeting, a lack of a greeting. Uh, how can I say this? Um, innuendos, accusations. There are all kinds of ways in which we communicate one with another this oppression of the devil. Amen? That's why when you get to, you, know, you, you, you talk to people, when you talk to your friends, your brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, that's why everything you say ought to be edifying. Because if it's edifying, then it's, then it's got the seal of love on it, which protects you. Now let me say this, I'm not going to teach this tonight, but I, I'm, I've got it, it's working. We think that there's something else other than love and hate. Now, let me try that again, because some of you are looking at me like, oh, wait, wait, wait. Now, listen to me. We think there's something else out there other than love and hate. But if you start studying the Scriptures, take those two words, go through your concordance, love and hate, you'll see in the body of Christ, there's only two things. You either love them all, or you hate them. Getting quiet in here. What is love? It's the absence of hate. What is hate? It's the absence of love. And so what we do many times is we step outside of that protective perimeter of walking in love. What have we said about 1 Corinthians 13 over and 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 Amplified Bible 4 through 8. Verses 4 through 8. I don't need to quote it, do I? Amen. You've got to live by that. You've got to practice that. And you've got to use that as your bedrock of authority to resist any thought that comes into your mind. That tries to separate you from anything God's doing in your life. Amen. Now, when I first began to preach, oh man, I was a basket case. You get up in front of people and you preach. And then, even if you have a powerful manifestation of the Spirit of God, and the pastor hugs your neck and blesses you, pats you on the back, and gives you a big offering check, and people got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost, you sold tons of tapes, all kinds of stuff, your adversary will probe you to try to figure out. That's why, that's why uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, oh, what's the word? Help me, Lord. That's why in our lives, in areas in which we're easily intimidated and we have insecurities, that's the word I'm looking for. Thank you, Lord. Where our insecurities are, the adversary knows where you're insecure. And that's where he is going to form his attack against your mind in every area. And insecurity is literally the place in which Satan will warp your mind. That's how oppression works. Now, if you yield to oppression and you allow oppression to dominate your mind, then you will end up where many Christians end up in that second category of the adversary's attack against you, and that is obsession. Well, you're obsessed. I've talked with people before that every time you talk with them, they drag something up. 
whether it be a disappointment at a church or a pastor that did them wrong or some people that did them wrong. I've, I've talked to even businessmen that talk about, you know, you start talking to them about their business. And they say, well, I tell you, you should have been here 10 years ago when so-and-so did this to me and that one did that. They're obsessed with it. I've talked with people that gone through divorces. And every time you engage them in conversation, they start tearing up the person they divorced, their ex. I've talked to people that had, they work at a job in which they're so miserable and so mad and so offended and so upset, every time you engage them in conversation, all they talk about is how bad their job is. They're obsessed with it. Amen. Now, obsession takes another route. You say, what do you mean by that? Obsession not only is the proof your mind has been taken over by the adversary, it begins to encroach into your soul. It begins to come into the way you feel. That's why I've heard people think, I've heard people say, I just feel it's God. And they're making some ridiculous decision. And they're obsessed with it. They're totally obsessed with it. And they say, I'm t- I remember one uh, individual, I just, oh, it just broke my heart. Broke my heart. They were talking to me. Something had happened in a church. They got discouraged. They engaged in some bad conversations. And all of a sudden, they got a call from God. Now, they approached me on it because they said it happened in one of my meetings. Sitting on the front row of a meeting that I preached, they had this great visitation from God. And they wanted to talk to me about it. And I was praise God, you had a God. I'd love to hear about your great visitation. So they came in and they started talking about this visitation. When the second sentence was out of their mouth, I knew by the Holy Ghost, this is not God. This is not God. This is not God. So I would ask a question or I'd make a statement trying to, trying to steer them. And finally I said this. I said, can you do this? Can you be an Acts chapter 13 uh, Acts chapter 13 minister? Can you minister unto the Lord and fast until the Holy Ghost says? No. I've already heard from God. I've already heard from God. And I did everything I could do. We're gone. God has called us. This entire scenario of becoming obsessed was taking place in this individual's life. And not only did it cost him every material thing he ever had, it cost him his life. Sad. I could give you four, four or five incidents where I've seen people that have just gotten obsessed with something. And sometimes on the surface, it looks like it, looks like it may be, God, this is something for... One, one individual was telling me one, how he was... He used, he used the word, I'm obsessed, I'm obsessed. And then he said this, I'm driven out of my mind to reach the world for Jesus. I thought, oh, wow. Jesus is a gentle shepherd. The Holy Ghost is the consummate gentleman. They'll lead you and guide you on the path of righteousness. And they'll stay out in front if you'll let them. They don't get behind and push. And I tell you, the worst people in the world, people that are, I don't know what to say about them, are believers that are obsessed with something that is not of God. And when you get obsessed with something that is not of God, you're beyond... Now let me say this. In oppression... 99 and 9 tenths percent of the time, you can drive that oppression out of your life. How many know that? How many have done that? Amen? But you get over on that obsession side, and you need some help. Because you've crossed a line is what you've done. Listen, spirits look. Spirit entities, especially the demonic realm, they look. They look for expression in the earth. Without without expression in the earth, there's no relevance to them. They live in a realm of timelessness. 
They're disembodied beings. They don't have a physical body. So really the only thing that gives them any, how can I say this, any relativity of existence is what? Messing with you. Messing with you. Trying to get into your mind. Trying to get into your feelings. Trying to get into you and mess with you and cause you to end up receiving the ministry of their master which is to be stolen from, killed from, or destroyed. That's what, they, what, what, that's what it is. Now listen, you know, uh, the Apostle Paul, one time just a little bit, but another time a whole lot, he gave them the credentials of his ministry. Obviously there were some people that were really rising up against him. We know there were the Judaizers, the people that would come behind him. That was the people that he called the thorn in the flesh. We do, if you've never heard any teaching on that, we'll do some sometime. His thorn in the flesh was not weak eyes. It was not some type of a, you know, runny eye. The thorn in the flesh was people that everywhere he went, they physically did something to him. They beat him. They stoned him. They whipped him. They put him in prison. They put him in jail. They put him in stocks. By the time he got to Corinth, he'd go study it in, 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 uh, uh, excuse me, in Acts chapter 18. He goes to Corinth, and he has a little bit of success, and he starts backing away. He's like, no, I don't know about this. You know? <laughs> Last time we did this, they stoned me to death. And God spoke to him. He appeared to him in a vision and said, don't be afraid. He said, when he says this, my grace is sufficient for thee, he's saying, I've taken care of it. God's grace being sufficient for somebody doesn't mean you're going to be able to live with this thing. Now it means I've taken care of that. He says, I have much people in this place. And he went about and he built the church in Corinth, which he wrote two letters to. And he did it unopposed. Then when he went to Ephesus in Acts chapter 19, he did it unopposed and preached the gospel all over Asia. And the last book of the book of Acts, uh, chapter 28, says he abode in his own house... And preach the gospel, no man forbade him. He's delivered. He got delivered of it. But in the meantime, he had to fight against people and give his proof, his authority. I am an apostle. See, they had, they had Peter and James and John. And we don't have a lot written about all the other apostles that were the apostles of Christ. But listen, all these other people and a lot of false apostles were coming in and basically feeding off of and destroying a lot of his ministry. Amen. So he'd talk about his proof of apostolic authority, his proof of this, his proof of that. Actually, what he was doing, he said, I've had some experience in this. And I'm going to tell you, and I'll share some of these things with you next week, I've had some experience in this stuff. I know what it's like to be locked into a ministry and to be working for God and developing ministry and doing all that, and the enemy come in and try to just take it all out of you. I know what it's like. I know how to withstand it. I know how to overcome it. I know how to identify it. And I also know how to prevent it. You say, how to prevent it? There's some ways you can prevent it. Now, everybody say obsessed. We don't want anybody obsessed. Now, possession, we're not going to talk about that. It's pretty plain. No, if you can't be, now let me say this. You can't be a Christian be possessed of a devil. Period. Possession is ownership. You're owned by Christ. You're bought with His blood. The Bible says another you won't follow. Now, let me just one thing, and I'm going to close. I'm over time. Next week, we're going to pick it up again back in Genesis chapter 3. Here's the reason. God had made his man and his woman and had put them in a place. Amen? 
We all, we've studied this several times, studying the authority of the believer. We know the adversary did what? He usurped spiritual authority. He went around the man, came to the woman. Then he got her eyes on the tree, not all the trees that belonged to him, but the tree that she could not have. Now, here is the scheme. Here is, this is why the enemy hadn't changed in 6,000 years. The place is wrong, and God's wrong. The place is wrong, and God's wrong. But the God's wrong part is very veiled and very deceptive if you're not careful. But the enemy's purpose was to get her out of the place. Now, how did he do that? She's in paradise. The Garden of Eden, the ultimate paradise on the earth, and there's a tree that God commanded them that they should not eat of. Now, because that tree is there, because that tree is there, because that tree is there, there is an ability of the adversary to speak into the situation that says because the tree is there, the place is bad. How do you get somebody out of a good place like the Garden of Eden? Convinced that it ain't no good. Then the next step was what? God knows in the day you eat of the tree that's in the place that's bad, then the God that's bad, you'll become just like him, knowing good and evil. Amen? You've got to watch out for the adversary because on a daily basis, he's going to oppress you with things in your mind. He's going to come against the word of God in your life. He's going to do everything He can do to separate you from relationships, from churches, from people, from people that speak into your life. He's going to do everything He can do. I'll tell you one thing that's helped me tremendously is to remain consistent on that which I feed off of. The people I listen to on my, uh, what do you call them, Leah, the iPod, thumb drives, all that type of stuff. I'm not looking for some new message. I'm not looking for some new revelation. I'm taking what I already know and letting it grow and roll and grow and build and grow and roll and rise up in authority and a power and anointing because it works. And if you'll learn to guard your heart, guard your mind, we're going to study some of this this week and when we go back teaching on the heart because the Bible says to guard your heart with all diligence for out of it are the what? Listen, that, that, young, that young lady there, that young man there that you're married to is an issue of life. This building, this church you come to and sit here and give your money and pray for these missionaries and we worship God together, it's an issue of life. And that is the number one target of the adversary, your adversary. He is after the issues of life that give you life. Amen? How many say we are overcomers? Say we're overcomers. We're not going to get fooled by the devil in Jesus' name. Now let me, I'm, I, know I've, I know I've already quit. Let me say this. We're using this on a level of marriage and church because of institution. But this thing works in healing. This thing works in prosperity. This thing works in righteousness, in joy to keep you from being depressed. There are so many different aspects of how the enemy's one tactic is designed to keep, to keep you out of the full manifestation of what God wants you to have, whether it be healing, joy, prosperity, blessing, whatever it may be. Let me just say it like this. He wants to steal your dream. 
He wants to steal your dream. Because without a dream, you don't have life. And even at the end of life, you could have dreams. Dreams for your children, dreams for your grandchildren that you pray out and believe God for. And I guarantee you, God is faithful to His Word and He's given us all the authority we need to keep the devil under our feet. Amen? Stand on your feet tonight. I like what one preacher said. I thought it was really cool. I heard it years ago and I still like it today. He said, your heel still fits on the devil's neck. Let me say that again. You might need to hear that tonight. Your heel still fits on the devil's neck. Say it out loud. My heel still fits on the devil's neck. Say it again. My heel still fits on the devil's neck. Hallelujah. Thank God for it. Father, we thank you tonight. Lord, we rejoice. You've given us authority. You've given us power. We walk on serpents, scorpions over all power of the enemy, all sickness, all disease, all depression, all obsession, anything that the enemy tries to rise up in our lives. Thank you, Lord. We have the authority. Father, we thank you as we leave tonight. We're surrounded by your word, by the angelic realm, by the love of each other. Thank you, no evil befalls us, no plague comes in our dwelling place. Angels have charge over us. Thank you, Father, whether we travel on the highways, the airways, the seaways, the railways, any other way of travel or transportation, we are the protected of God. Lord, the righteous labor of our hands, education, medicine, oil, everywhere we go, whatever we do, as we live our lives, as we do life together, thank you that we're protected, we're kept. No evil plans of wicked men or the devil himself. We abide under the shadow of the Most High. Thank you for doors of utterance, doors of utterance in the nations, doors of utterance here in Galveston Island, doors of utterance with our neighbors, our workers. Thank you. We will be an answer to prayer, a problem to the adversary, a miracle in people's lives. Fathers, we leave tonight. We walk in faith and love towards you. We walk in love toward one another. Thank you for our church. Father, we leave in the authority that you've given us by the word and in the spirit. We are the overcomers of God. We thank you, Father, as we leave tonight. We here at Island Church are covered by the blood, empowered by the Word, and anointed by the Holy. Thank you for listening to Island Church's podcast. To find out more information about Island Church in Galveston, Texas, visit our website at islandchurchgalveston.com. Hallelujah, Jesus.